back to the, to the pilgrims if, if they can. When we decide we're going to be a thankful people, we still are swimming against the, the prevailing current of our culture. Um, author John Ortberg puts his finger on the problem. He says the problem um, is our sense of entitlement. The bigger our sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. And he says our entitlement mindset has led as a result to a proliferation of lawsuits. He says when we don't get something as Americans that we really want, we sue somebody. And he cites these examples. He says the San Francisco Giants were once sued for passing out Father's Day gifts to men only. A psychology professor sued for sexual harassment because of the presence of mistletoe at a Christmas party. And a psychic was actually awarded $986,000 when a doctor's CAT scan impaired her psychic abilities. Which he says you'd have to wonder about that one because if she really was a psychic, wouldn't she have known not to go to that doctor um, and have that CAT scan? It affects our kids too. A little town of Goldthwaite, Texas where I have uh, family. I Arden Taylor writes that when our granddaughter was four, she came to the table one day in a disgruntled mood. She complained loudly about every dish on the table, and hoping to change the mood, her mother suggested that she give the blessing, and after a sullen pause, the little four-year-old prayed, Okay, God, I forgive you for this food. <laughs> but Scripture's clear. Um, God delights in our thanksgiving. He, he longs for us to be a thankful people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And so as we approach a season where we're dedicated to becoming more thankful people, um, I'd like to point us towards a psalm that serves that exact purpose. The intent of this psalm is to fuel our thankfulness. And so um, you can open your Bibles to... Psalm 136, and I'll I'll pray for us as you find your way there. Lord, have mercy on us. Use your word now to shape our hearts, to grow in us um, thankfulness that overwhelms all the lesser things of entitlement and what what we think we earn or deserve or have achieved. Lord, fill our hearts by your spirit with a thankfulness for that which you have done and are doing for us ceaselessly. Help us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, there is a subtle pattern in this psalm. I'd like for you not to read it. I'd like you just to listen to it as I have our passage read to us today. Listen and see if you can pick up the subtle pattern that is in this psalm. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, 
His love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. He remembered us in our lower state, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. He gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And it seems to me that we're supposed to give thanks to God because his love endures forever. The British accent makes it hard to discern, but I think that's what the psalm is teaching us. Um, and really, it's a remarkable, remarkable song because of that repetition. Uh, 26 times he says that phrase, his love endures forever. Um, Stephen Cole says the only thing close to that is Psalm 118, where that same phrase is repeated four times. Um, probably this was designed for public worship uh, the Jews called this psalm the great hallel, the great praise that was offered to God. And it was sung especially at the Passover. And the idea is that uh, the worship leader would say the first line and the congregation would respond with his love endures forever. Or as ours, our translation where we're going to say his steadfast love endures forever. Some of your Bibles will say his loving kindness endures forever forever and that the word that's behind all this the Hebrew word that's behind it is the word chesed and I would have you turn and say that to your neighbor but it's cold and flu season so you probably ought to keep your chesed to yourself today um, but that word occurs 240 times in the Old Testament it, it blends um, strength and power steadfastness and faithfulness with love and grace and mercy and it's hard to get an English word to translate something so rich Look, look at how they try to translate. Here's a bunch of different translations. His steadfast love endures forever. His love is eternal. His loyal love endures. His loving kindness is everlasting. His mercy endureth forever. His love never quits. His faithful love endures forever. And the amplified version that gives up and just crams them all together. His loving kindness, graciousness, mercy, and compassion endures forever. Um, 
It is a rich, a word so rich, we don't have a word that just captures it. I, I love this little phrase that an, an, an a poet long ago captured it. He says, forevermore his love shall last, forever sure, forever fast. Um, so what we'll do today as we walk through this psalm and look at it to be encouraged in giving thanks to God for his steadfast love, I will say the first line of every verse that's on the screen from the psalm and then you recite with me this phrase his steadfast love endures forever okay let's practice it for his steadfast love endures forever all right that's your line and you'll have memorized at least a half of a psalm today when we're when we're done with this so right out of the blocks in verse one give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever and so we see that this steadfast love expresses to us the very goodness of our God and it is the fuel for a thankful heart and it continues throughout the psalm the next couple verses go like this give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever so this God our God, who is above all other gods, this Lord, who is our Lord, who is above all other lords, um, he loves his people with a steadfast, enduring love. He loves us with a steadfast, enduring love. He always has. He always will. That's what lies behind that phrase. The Lord always loves his people. And really, isn't that good news? Isn't that the best news? Can you imagine what it would be like if our God was not always steadfastly loving towards us, if we could not count on that? If the God of gods and the Lord of lords was a fickle God who got up on the wrong side of bed one morning or had, uh, I suppose you could call it, a mid-eternity crisis and said to us, um, is Ben real? I'm done, I'm out of here. Okay. That, that is so angst-producing for his people. But our God is not like that. We are to be thankful that, as the Apostle John put it, as he describes the fullest expression of the love of God, we are to be thankful because our God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. And so the rest of this psalm is a litany of descriptions of the shape that the love of God takes towards his people. Again, towards us. Keep in mind, this is how God loves us as his people. Um, and this is in turn to be the fuel for our thanksgiving. So again, verse four, it says, to him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay. So the great wonders that we're about to look at in this psalm, they are God's unique work. They're his unique way of loving us of loving his people. And so for our purposes this morning, I'm gonna take all these descriptions and put them into three buckets. 
for us to think about. These are the ways that God pours his love out on us. Okay. The first bucket is in verses 5 through 9, and it describes God as loving us as creator. Okay. Let's read it together. Um, verse 5. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, so God made the heavens and the earth, the sun and the moon and the stars, and they are all tokens of his love for us. Okay. So everywhere we go, all the time, the psalmist is saying, God is steadfastly showing us his love for us in his creation. Everywhere we go, this is the case. Whether it is in heaven or it is upon the earth, it's not just that God is loving us while we are there, but in that place we encounter expressions of his love for us. So why are the Grand Tetons so magnificent? Okay. Why are the geysers of Yellowstone so colorful? Why don't the leaves just turn brown and drop in the Appalachians? Okay. Why are the stars so captivating to us in the night sky? Because they are tokens of his love for us. They are markers of his steadfast love. Everything we see and experience, every beautiful thing we see in heaven and on earth bears God's love to us. Through creation, everywhere you see anything beautiful, God is loving you through that experience. And it says he does it all the time. Ceaselessly, steadfastly, enduringly day and night he does it by sunlight and he does it by moonlight um, these are never ceasing expressions of his loving mercy towards us so there's a bunch of research evidently it's being done in a field called bioacoustics and it is revealed that every day we are surrounded by millions of ultrasonic songs. For instance, the electron shell of the, carbon of the carbon atom produces the same harmonic scale as a Gregorian chant. Next time you do your Gregorian chants, you can just reflect on that. Arnold Sommerfield is a German physicist and a pianist, and he observed that a single hydrogen atom emits 100 frequencies, and as such, it is more musical than a grand piano, which only emits 88 frequencies. Um, science leader, writer Lewis Thomas says, if we had better hearing and could discern the singing of seabirds, the rhythmic drumming of schools of mollusks, or even the distant distant harmonic effects of flies hanging over meadows in the sun, the combined sound might lift us off our feet. That is to say, as the psalmist says, we would give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay. 
And, and again, this is not to be some little, little tiny thanks. They call this the great hallel, the great praise. Okay. Now, do you think of your little encounters, your little daily encounters with the beauty of creation this way? Do you see them as tokens of God's love for you? Is that how you look? That's how you think when you step out and you see the clouds um, on your back deck or you watch the sun set at the end of the day. When you drove in here this morning and you saw the remaining leaves and they were splashed with color, were you reminded that, that this is God displaying his love for you? Um, my fear is that we miss it. We just have not trained ourselves to see it. Um, so I have this painting in my office, right? It hangs in my office. This is painted by um, one of the guys on our worship team, Trent Anthony. And as you can see, it's a picture of a tree. But look closely. How many of you see something else? Raise your hand. A number of you. You're more awake than the first service. Keep looking. There's something else there on the lower right-hand side. Can you spot it for him? Um, see right there? Can you see the face? Can you see Christ in his creation? See, we have not trained ourselves to see these things. And they are, the psalmist is saying, it's there that as creator, his steadfast love for you remains forever. It endures forever. Um, but we miss it. We are practically atheists as we look at the beauty around us. Now, there's a neat little book by William Steig. It's called Yellow and Pink. And um, in that book, there are two little wooden figures who wake up to find themselves lying on an old newspaper in the hot sun. One figure is, is painted yellow and the other pink, hence the name of the book. Suddenly, yellow sits up and asks, do you know what we're doing here? And so begins a debate from the two marionettes over the origin of their existence. Pink surveys their well-formed features and concludes, someone must have made us. Yellow disagrees. I say we're an accident. And he outlines a hypothetical scenario of how it might have happened. A branch might have broken off a tree and fallen on a sharp rock, splitting one end of the branch into two legs. Then the wind might have sent it tumbling down a hill until it was chipped and shaped. Perhaps a flash of lightning struck in such a way as to splinter the wood into arms and fingers. Eyes might have been formed by woodpeckers boring in the wood. He says, with enough time, a thousand, a million, maybe two and a half million years, lots of unusual things could happen, says Yellow. Why not us? And the two figures argue back and forth. And in the end, the discussion is cut off by the appearance of a man who comes out of a nearby house. He strolls over to the marionettes. He picks them up and he checks their paint. Nice and dry he says. And he tucks them under his arm and he heads back towards the house. And peering out from under the man's arm, Yellow whispers into Pink's ear, who is this guy? Right? Be like Pink. Don't be like Yellow. Okay? Don't miss the tokens of his love that are all around you every day. Every moment, the psalmist is telling us, of every day. Whether sunlight or moonlight, um, always, every day, forevermore, his love shall last, forever sure, forever fast. So give thanks to the Lord, 
because he loves us steadfastly as the creator of all things. Now in the next few verses, he loves us, this is our second bucket, he loves us as deliverer or rescuer. Um, Let's look at verse 10 to 12 together. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And he brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay. So the psalm writer here is taking us all the way back to the early pages of your Bible, to the book of Exodus, where God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Um, And verse 10 there alludes to the tenth of the terrible plagues that God afflicted the Egyptian slave masters with so that they would let his people go. Um, But it does seem an odd and troubling way to show love, doesn't it? Um, The slaughter of Egypt's firstborn. And uh, I think it can be helpful here to realize that when when it speaks of his, his love, this steadfast love, it's his covenant love, It's his loyal love to his people, okay? Um, He is the deliverer, the rescuer of his people, and that differs from the love that he has for all peoples. Professor D.A. Carson says that God has a particular, effective, selecting love towards his elect, his people. The elect may be an entire nation of Israel or the church or as a body or individuals, but in each case, God sets his affections on his chosen ones in a way which he does not set his affection on others. The people of Israel are told in Deuteronomy 10, um, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that's in it. Yet the Lord has set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them you above all peoples as you are this day he says it's striking that in these passages when Israel is contrasted with the universe or with other nations the distinguishing feature has nothing to do um, with personal or even national merit it's nothing other than the love of God in the very nature of the case then God's love is directed he says towards Israel in these passages in a way in which it is not directed towards the other nations that he loves and so you see throughout this section that God's love is on display in in a unique way in the rescue of his chosen people and part of that rescue is judgment upon their enemies that is in this case the Egyptians so, and we see that, again, in verses 10 through 12, right? Um, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. So you, you see the pattern. Verse 10 is judgment And verse 11 and 12 are his loving rescue. And the same pattern continues throughout this section. Verse 13 through 15. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. So he's still recounting their rescue from the Egyptians. Um, 
Now he moves from the miraculous verse of the plagues to the miraculous deliverance of the parting of the Red Sea. And again, verse 13 is rescue, verse 14 and 15 are judgment, and both are expressions of his love, his steadfast love for his chosen people. So he moves now to their journey through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Again, part of that exodus. So starting in verse 16, to him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. So again, God lovingly leads his people through the wilderness and delivers them from great kings and he gives them the land he had promised them as an inheritance. So again, you see it. Judgment upon their enemies and deliverance and rescue as an expression of his love and care for his people. And this tale from history, the Exodus and God's rescue of his people there, is kind of a paradigm or a prototype of the way that God's going to rescue his people in the future. Um, Professor Fred Fisher calls it the Exodus pattern. And you can hear the New Testament language when it talks about God rescuing us as his chosen people um, from our sin. It uses the language of the Exodus. So in Romans 8, for instance, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, just as God led his people out in the wilderness, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, such as was in Egypt, to fall back into fear, to return to that, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, because God has chosen us and placed his love upon us as his people. So it's a pattern. When we look at God's love and their deliverance, it should make us think of our deliverance in Christ. Um, scholar N.T. Wright tells a story about an archbishop who's hearing the confession of three teenagers in his church, and they were making a joke of it by confessing wild and unbelievable sins that they had not committed. And so the archbishop knows that that's what they're doing, and he lets the two kind of go, and he kind of plays along with them. But the third one, he decides to try a different tact, and so he listens carefully to the third prankster. And before he got away, he told the young men, okay, you've confessed your sins. Now I want you to do something to show your repentance. I want you to walk up to the far end of the church and I want you to look at the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross there. And I want you to look at his face and say, you did all that for me and I don't care that much. And I want you to do that three times. And so the boy went up to the front of the church. He looked at the picture of Jesus. He said, you did all that for me and I don't care that much. And then he said it again. But then he couldn't say it the third time because he broke down in tears. And the archbishop telling the story said, the reason I know that story is that I was that young man. He says there is something about the cross, 
Something about Jesus dying there for us which leaps over all the theoretical discussions, all the possibilities of how we explain it this way or that way, or, and it grasps us. And when we're grasped by it, somehow we have a sense that what is grasping us is the love of God, the steadfast love of God that endures forever. And our response to being so lovingly rescued by God, we give thanks to the Lord of lords. We give thanks to the God of gods because his steadfast love endures forever. To do anything less, we would be ingrates, right? Um, Paul Zoll says, imagine you fall off the side of an ocean liner and not knowing how to swim, you start to drown. And someone on the deck spots you flailing in the water and they throw you a life preserver. And you grab and you hold on for dear life just before you're losing consciousness. They pull you up onto the deck and cough the water out of your lungs and people gather around and they're rejoicing that you are safe and waiting expectantly while you regain your senses. And after you finally catch your breath, you open your mouth and what do you say? You say, Did you see the way I grabbed onto that life preserver? How tightly I held onto it? Did you see the definition in my biceps? My wrists so powerful? I was all over that thing. He writes, needless to say, that would be a bewildering and borderline insane response. To draw attention to the way you cooperated with the rescue effort denigrates the whole point of what happened, which is that you were saved. A much more likely chain of events is you would immediately seek out the person who threw the life preserver and you would thank them, and not just superficially either. You would embrace them. You would ask them their name. You would invite them out to dinner. You might even give them your cabin on the cruise ship. And so... When we realize what it is that God has rescued us from, we together say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. And it continues down near the very end, verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our low estate for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. So one of the ways God pours his love into our life is by being a rescuer when we were in our greatest need and in the creation all around us every day ceaselessly We can add one more bucket that God loves to pour his love out onto us by, um, and that is um, that he is our provider. Look at verse 25. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. God provides. He provides for all flesh I suppose this could be that manna experience of miraculous food in the wilderness, but it's probably bigger than that. Some of you heard the translation earlier. They say, to every creature instead of all flesh. Um, God feeds us all as an expression of his love for us. Um, All flesh, all of us. 
Tim Chester wants us to think about that. It's especially good in light of what's going to happen in your homes or some of your family's homes on Thursday. He says, uh, think of your favorite food. Steak, perhaps. Or this week, let's say turkey. Or he says, Thai green curry or ice cream or homemade apple pie. He says, God could have just made fuel. He could have made us to be sustained by some kind of biscuit. Think MREs, right? But instead, he gave us a vast and wonderful array of foods. Food is a central experience for us of God's goodness. He says the world is more delicious than it needs to be. We have a super abundance of divine goodness and generosity. God went over the top. We don't need the variety we enjoy, but he gave it to us as an experience of his steadfast love for us. And we're going to experience his provision of food, this loving expression of his care for us this week lavishly. Creation, deliverance, provision. How can we not give thanks? Um, There's a guy in Montreal. His name is Taufik Moala. And he's driving down the streets of Montreal when CNC Music Factory's 1990 hit, Gonna Make You Sweat, Everybody Dance Now, comes on the radio um, while he was driving. And so he starts to sing along, presumably with some enthusiasm. If you're not familiar with the song, this is the shortest clip I could find. You'll, you'll, you'll recognize it right away. So he's driving down the road with his windows down, singing that song, and he notices a police behind him with their lights on. And he thinks that, you know, they're just after somebody, and they tell him to pull over. And evidently, Montreal uh, has bylaws that vary from neighborhoods um, about noise resulting from cries, clamors, singing, altercations, or cursing, and any other form of uproar that are prohibited in that part of the city. So this 38-year-old father of two got a $118 ticket for singing Everybody Dance Now as he drove down the streets of Toronto. He says, I didn't know if my voice was very bad, and that's why I got the ticket, he says, but I was very shocked. And the article that, that kind of ends the story with this question for the Montreal police, how can you not sing along with that song, right? <laughs> And so the psalmist is saying, how can you not give thanks to God for for the way he's loving you as creator in the sun and the moon and its rays every day, in, in in the earth and in the heavens, in the morning and in the evening, all the time? How can you not give thanks for his provision especially for his rescue on the cross. So, what's up with the pennies? Okay, if you notice, there are pennies everywhere this morning. Um, some kids helped me strew those about uh, after the first service. Um, I introduced you to this guy at our outdoor service. Um, his name is Otha Anders. 
from Ruston, Louisiana, and he has, for the last 45 years, picked up pennies, enough pennies that when he took them to the bank, it took 15 five-gallon jugs of pennies to take them to the bank. Okay. That was a half, more than a half a million, $5,000 worth of pennies. Um, it, took, it says it took the bank machines five hours to count those half a million pennies. Um, but again, the story's really not about his thriftiness. It's about why he does what he, what he does, his thankfulness. This is what he says. He says, I became convinced that spotting a lost or dropped penny was an additional God-given incentive reminding me to always be thankful. He said, there have been days where I failed to pray and give thanks, and more often than not, a lost, dropped penny would show up to remind me. So, what I'd like you to do today, on your way out, pick up a penny, okay? And give thanks for whatever comes to your mind, for whomever you see, for whatever you're mindful of at that moment. As a matter of fact, our custodian would love it if you'd pick up lots of pennies <laughs> on your way out. Your children may pick up as many pennies as they want. They just have to thank God for every penny they, they pick up. Um, but put it in your pocket, carry it around this week. Every time you stick your hand in your pocket, you feel that penny, give thanks. For wherever you are, whatever you see, whatever the Creator has, has blessed you with at that moment, for, for thinking of his, his rescue of you from your sin, for His provision that's before you, whatever. So carry it with you this week as a reminder that your Creator, your Deliverer, your Provider, He loves us every day for His steadfast love never ceases. So if you'll stand with me. Um, Verses 1 through 3, we'll close with this benediction and then our great Hallel as the worship team leads us in our closing praise. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let's worship and give thanks, our great praise to our God who's worthy.